This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamaliti. I'm becoming, as I age, very nostalgic. So to me now, it's also about perfecting those old recipes. Like um, my, my dad's from Abruzzo and they used to make these cookies that have chickpeas in it. It's mashed chickpeas with cocoa powder. I post them and people are like, oh, those I remember those cookies. And I'm finding that in that nostalgia, people are, are also becoming very interested in other people's cultures. So I have this woman, her name's Mai, and she lives in Chicago. We kind of made friends over the internet and she sent me this package of like rose petals and soup and like things that I think like, oh my God, this is so amazing. So the nostalgia of our own culture, I feel like is connecting us to other people's cultures. That's Susie Durgon. She's a trained chef, culinary instructor, creator of Just Crumbs blog and kindness ambassador. Well, that's what I like to call her. She's one of the sweetest people I've been fortunate enough to meet. And we share the same passion for food and spreading kindness. So for the people that don't know your story, your journey, Take a few minutes and walk us through who Susie is. Um, gosh, I, you know what? I would say first and foremost, I'm a lover of food. I'm, um, I'm a blogger. I'm a culinary instructor. I think the reason that I started blogging was to, um, oh, well, really the reason I started putting stuff on the internet was because I wanted my kids to like have a document of how to actually cook their food. But um, mm-hmm. then I thought, you know, like, because I teach cooking classes, I was like, oh, I'll put stuff up there because then like, you know, people will have a visual to go back when I'm gone. And and then, you know, I just, I think I, I just, I want people to get back in the kitchen. Like, I think when I started teaching 15 years ago, I realized, you know, pe- people come to cooking classes just to be entertained. They really actually didn't want to learn how to cook. And it kind of made me sad. And so I thought like, I, I have to figure out how to do this to get people to get back in the kitchen to realize like, you know, as long as you kind of got a base, then this is easy. Like our grandparents, our parents did it, our grandparents did it. And it wasn't, an, it wasn't such an effort. And I think people have made it into such an effort. And I think it's because of the beauty of the internet and, you know, everyone thinks everything's so perfect. And then they think, well, I, I can't do that. So I think my job is to kind of get people to come back and yeah, that's why I kind of try to interject some laughter and humor into it because, you know, like it's okay. Like that's how we learn. And, and um, you know, I think that's sort of my goal. Oh, I totally agree with that. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. also the frame of mind. I don't always look for perfect meals. Right. And when, right. when you're visually impaired or you have limited or no sight, what it looks like really doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wish that people would like, you know, if they could turn off some of their senses to really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think even when you're on holiday, you know, just because your stress level's not there and everything else, and that's why food tastes so good. I mean, obviously when you're in the hills of Tuscany enjoying a beautiful plate of pasta, it's going to taste amazing. Probably because you paid a million dollars to get there and you're like, I better get my money's worth out of this. Oh my but God, I, I'm I, laughing because <laughs> that happened to us. <laughs> but no, okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. So we were in Tuscany and um, so I'm Italian, mm-hmm. but the first time I went to Europe, I was 40. And um, so I'd never been there. I was like so excited to go. And we were at this cooking school and um, we had the advantage of being the only people that understood the woman that was cooking because she didn't really know how to speak English. There was an interpreter there. <laughs> so um, she, she was making this vegetable terrine. So she had all kinds of roasted vegetables that she was doing. And then she took a, a roasted pepper. And, and to, in defense of the people that were there, that, that they were mainly Americans that were there, they looked at her and they said, what is that? 
And she looked at her translator like, what? What are they asking? And she, the translator said in Italian, like, they want to know what that is. And she looked at them like, what are you, stupid? Like, it's a, it's a, pep, it's a pepper. <laughs> and they're like, a pepper? And she's like, yeah, a pepper. And they're like, a pepper? She, she got so mad. She went to the garden. She brought back a pepper. And in their defense, it was ginormous. It looked like a pepper on steroids. So they were like, oh, a pepper. So she, she was like, okay. She was like, whatever, stupid people. So she cut up the pepper and she put it the way we had it when we were kids, put on a plate with olive oil, salt, and pepper. And she sort of passed it to us because she didn't eat it for the dish. Mm-hmm. So as she kept cooking, everybody was eating this pepper. And they were like, oh my God, this is the best pepper I've ever had. What did you put on it? And now again, the stupid look at everybody was like, what is wrong with these people? And so then of course I took the pepper and I'm like, okay, like they're not, they're not that stupid. This is a really good pepper. And, and so I, that's when it started, like in my head, I'm like, like, so is it really a good pepper because it was grown in Italian soil and it had Italian sun or is it a good pepper because we've paid a million dollars to be here and it better be a good pepper? Or is it a good pepper because I'm not stressed and it's evoking childhood memories? What is it about that? Like, is it sensory? Is it imaginative? Is it stress? Like, and you know, I think it's a a combination of all those things. Yeah. I think you are absolutely right on the money with that one. Uh, We went to Italy, same thing. Mm -hmm. We went to cooking class and our instructor was, our chef was phenomenal. He spoke English. We went to the market, picked our food, and they had a sampling truffle oil. So truffle everything. We were just having it by the handfuls. This is so good. This is awesome. This is amazing. I can't believe it. This is just unbelievable. <laughs> Everyone. We bought a whole bunch of it, brought it home, put it on my charcuterie board. I said, oh my God, I'm going to throw um, up. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I have so many stories like that, I could tell you. But I think for the most part, it's just because at the moment, it's representing something that you don't have at home. I mean, the normalcy of life when it comes back to normal and you have that exact same thing Mm -hmm. in your own settings, it's not going to taste the same. So now I'm curious, how did you get started in the kitchen? It's kind of a long story, but not really. I um, uh, I grew up in an Italian house where, as you know, Mm -hmm. uh, people that aren't Italian have this romantic vision of what it was like being a kid in an Italian kitchen. I think they think that our grandparents and grandparents like let us run in the kitchen with reckless abandon and throw flour everywhere and I'm like yeah no I, w- I wasn't allowed <laughs> to the touch the furthest anything. from the truth yeah like I could watch you do it mm-hmm. and because we were born in a generation where you were to be seen and not heard you weren't going to go out and play because you had to just sit there and listen and watch and and I mean I say that I mean it was great and it was a great life but um you know, so I learned through osmosis, you know, my grandmother made the best gnocchi and, and my job was, um, to cut the little, like the little, she'd roll the, um, she'd roll the logs and then I would cut the little gnocchi out of the logs with a little butter knife. And that's the most I could do. But, um, you know, like I wasn't allowed to like get flour on the floor or God forbid, you know, like, cause then I'd put flour on the plastic that was on the furniture, you know, like all that stuff. <laughs> so growing up, you know, I did what my dad wanted me to do. I was good in math. I was good in science and going to try to be a doctor. It's going to be great. And, um, I used to volunteer at a hospital and I remember, um, my mentor was a lady doctor. That was my doctor. And, um, I would go in on Sunday mornings. I was a candy striper. So I would play with the kids, right? It just looked good on my resume. And I would, there was a little boy that was born with his heart outside of his chest cavity. Um, and he was in this special chair. He was like six months old. And he had this like sort of mm. contraption cage built around so people it couldn't, you know, and he was getting 
I, they were waiting for something so that he could have surgery. So, you know, one Sunday I go and his chair's not there and I hang my coat up and I'm like, Oh, look, is he having a bath? There's something. And the nurses all looked at me like dead pinned. Right. And then they're like, Oh, he died a couple of days ago. Mm. And I remember I was a mess. Like I remember thinking like, I can't eat, I can't sleep. And I, and I said to my doctor, like, I can't do this for a living. Like I didn't even know this kid and he wasn't my responsibility. Like if a patient is my responsibility, how am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. And she said something to me that really resonated. She said, don't worry, you'll become hardened to it. And in that moment, I thought, I understand that because that must be how doctors like deal with their profession. They would have to, yes. And I think I was thinking in my heart, I knew I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids. And there was no chance in hell I was going to be able to do any of those things if I was a doctor because- I just couldn't balance that in my life. So I kind of had to do a, like a 360 and figure something out. And so I, um, back in the day, if my, I told my dad I wanted to be a chef, that was like one of my kids telling me they want to be a garbage truck driver right now. Like it, there was no glory in it back then. Like it, he'd be like, what? You want to do what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, the best case scenario for me was I um, applied to university to get a Bachelor of Applied Arts with a culinary certificate. So it was a four-year program. I came out with a degree, which is all he really wanted me to do. And I had a culinary certificate. So moving forward, I got had kids. I started teaching. I had a small catering company. And then when I was 49, I thought, I'm going to go back to school. So I, with a bunch of kids that were my kids' age, which was quite hilarious, mm-hmm. um, they asked me to do drugs in the parking lot. It was so much, so much fun. <laughs> I felt like so connected to all of them. Um, and uh, yeah, so I went back and I got my chef's papers when I was 49 and uh, just kind of completed the circle, if, if that. But I, I don't, I mean, it was great and I needed it for my own satisfaction. But um, if you asked me, where did I learn most of my stuff? It's just from, from doing. The whole 10,000 hour rule couldn't be truer in this business than in anything else. Okay, so now I have some awesome games. Are you interested in playing? Of course, of course. <laughs> I'm all up for a game. Um, first one, word association. Chocolate. Uh, uh, eating. <laughs> I just pictured it in my mouth with the stuff all over it. Cake. Chocolate. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say eating again. <laughs> eating, Peaches. Eating. Oh, um, oh, I just pictured eating hot preserved peaches on the stairs at my old house when I was four. Sorry, that's not a word. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what's the What's the first recipe you could remember trying? Okay, so I have a funny story. And, and people think like, oh, like at, on your mother's knee and, you know, you would probably like mill your own wheat to make bread. Yeah, no. Like, like I said, like we weren't privy to any of that. So mm-hmm. I don't know how you were, but when I got married, I'm like, I didn't know how to do anything. Like I never really cooked. I ate all the food, but I never really cooked as a kid. I mean, I cooked easy bake oven and all that kind of stuff. Like we all had that stuff. But I remember getting married and thinking like, ah do I go to the frozen food section? Because I was a sales manager at the Four Seasons and my husband had his own construction company. So we were literally coming home at like nine o'clock at night. And I remember the very first thing I made when we came back from our honeymoon was like chicken fingers and um, onion rings, like from, a, like from a freezer, like from a, like a frozen box of something. And he looked at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> what, what, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. Can we have a redo? I'm sorry. I did this. Yeah. So, um, and then it just became like, you know, like, yeah, like try like anybody else. I mean, I had a passion for food, but it wasn't until it wasn't until I had the time to like, actually, you know, I started a small catering company. Um, I used to make butter tarts for a golf course. 
And that just kind of morphed into everything else. And that's when I started teaching and, and, and learning all the sort of revamping all the old things that I'd always done and making them my way sort of. So do you have a signature recipe or something that you, you just, you, you love, you enjoy making so much that it comes on repeat? Yeah. 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 I think so. I think, and it, well, two are the, are the, the two recipes that I made when I cooked, I baked for a golf course. So I used to make, um, carrot cake, um, and they were carrot cake sandwiches. I called them because they were eaten at the ninth hole. So they had to be portable. They had to be able to be taken away. Mm -hmm. So carrot cake without cream cheese icing is nothing. So I would actually make the cake in like a lasagna pan and then cut into squares. And then I'd slice the squares in half and put the cream cheese icing in the middle. So it's like a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone loves that. And then my butter tarts, because the butter tarts were the other thing I made for them. So people kind of got used to it. And butter tarts are a thing. And I don't know, Mary, if you can think of something else, because there's weird things in the food world where you say, oh, I make butter tarts. And I'm not kidding. Not one person has ever not said to me, butter tarts, butter tarts are my favorite yeah, thing on the planet. They are. Like everybody loves butter tarts. So it's, it's I a haven't weird met anyone thing. that doesn't love a butter tart. I know, right? Yeah. Isn't that funny? I yeah, know. It's true. I'm glad you mentioned about baking because I wanted to talk about Bake It Forward, which yes. I've read on your site yes. that it's your, yes. it's your love project. Yes. It goes back to um, when my kids were younger and my kids are, I have three kids who are competitive athletes and, you know, hockey tournaments. And we were at like Boston Pizza once at a hockey tournament. And I was watching this waitress like buzz around and she had like, she just, I don't know why I noticed, but her jeans were awesome. And I remember watching her and thinking like, God, her jeans are awesome. Like, oh, her jeans are just awesome. Oh, they fit her perfectly. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell her. And my kids hate me when I do this. They're like, mom, no, no. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. So I called her over and she's like, oh, sorry, ma'am. I'm not your waitress. I said, oh, no, no, I know that. I said, I just need to tell you. I said, no. I said your jeans look amazing. <laughs> and she legit almost started to cry. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm just having the worst day ever. She said, and like, you have no idea what that meant to me. Aww. And so that started to kind of, it kind of like made something sort of bubble up in my head. Like how many times do you think good things of people? And you don't tell them. And how sad is that? That's I mean, so true. Fault. It's, just, it's just a natural thing we do, right? And so I started thinking at the time, you know what? I'm going to put it in my, in my calendar that on the first of every month, I'm going to write a letter to somebody, like the old-fashioned way. I'm just going to write a one-page letter, and I'm going to deliver it to them, like, you know, uh, whatever, in the mail with the stamp. And so the first letter I had was to a friend of mine who's, um, he owns a pizzeria in, um, in Richmond Hill. And, uh, he, I went to his dad's funeral and I remember sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know this man, but I bet you he was a good guy because like my friend's a good guy and a pillar of the community and you know, all this stuff. So then I started thinking he's going to be my first letter. I'm going to go home and I'm going to write him a letter. And in the letter, I remember going, cause he was part of our hockey community and he was writing, taking notes uh, before his dad died of stories his dad had told him when he was a young boy in Italy because he wanted to leave it as a legacy for his children because his dad was illiterate and he couldn't write, so he was going to do it for him. So pairing that with what I thought of him, I wrote him this really nice letter about what he meant to me and what he means to the community and how happy I am to live in a community where there's a guy that, you know, is so revered and well-loved and, and, you know, and he's my friend. And, and I said that I think it's a wonderful thing what you're doing. So I went to, like, uh, winners and I bought this really pretty um, – 
a nice journal and I put it in a bag with a letter saying that I think that's his legacy is to just keep writing and keep writing about his dad and keep writing about him so that his kids have these stories. And I literally drove to his house and dropped it at his front door and I didn't even ring the doorbell. And then the next day he called me crying like a baby and telling me that nobody had ever said those things to him before. And, you know, it was so nice. And so, so I just, I did that for a year and then once a month. Right? So I did 12 letters and then I was like, you know, I feel like I could do more with this. And then I thought, but I do food. So I need to just start doing this with food. So mm -hmm. every Friday I would do Bake It Forward Friday and I would just literally pick people. So to me, it was a collective of uh, like it was about spreading happiness mm -hmm. through food, but it was also a collective of stories. And, and it's funny because it was supposed to be the premise of my cookbook. It was going to be called the Bake It Forward Project. People would come up to me and they're like, oh my God, I can't wait for your cookbook. It's going to be so funny. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no, it's not going to be funny because it's going to be about Bake It Forward. So I was having like an internal struggle with that. I talked to a few people and it's still, it's a hundred, over a hundred recipes that are all baked because that's how it started, Bake mm -hmm. It Forward. But it, it's going to be a hundred, over a hundred recipes that are baked, but it's just going to be called something like Just Crumbs Baked. I'm Mary Mammoliti and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today I'm talking with the hilarious Susie Durgon. She's a kind, creative, straight shooter, and fellow food blogger. Let's continue with some culinary questions. Okay. Okay. What recipe has never failed you? Ooh. None. None at all. None. I know. None. I, I, I am, and that's what people say, like, no, you got to keep it real. Yeah, it doesn't get more real than me. Like, I am, I will absolutely tell you when I screw stuff up, because I remember my very first cooking class. My very first cooking class was um, I was teaching and I was like, oh, I'm going to teach them carrot cake because I'm going to show them how I make the little sandwiches out of it. And as I'm taking it out of the pan, I'm thinking, God, wouldn't it be funny like if this didn't work? And as I did it, it completely crumbled out of the pan. And like the 40 people in the class all went, <gasps> I was like, no, I said, this is so great. And they're looking at me like, she's lost it. Oh my God, she's lost it. I'm like, no, see, because... I'm the professional and you're not. So like if it messes up with you, mm -hmm. then like, what are you going to do? This one, I'm going to show you. We're going to make cake pops because that's what you do when a cake falls apart. You make, make so I'm going to show pops. you how to make cake pops. So I think that's like the whole, like if something burns for me, I will show you. I, I am the master of like doing 500 million things at the same time, which is really dumb when you're in the kitchen. And I do stuff like all the time. I burn things. I set my fire alarm off mm -hmm. the other day. Like, so I think like, so I say what, what, what recipe never fails me. Um, you know, like I make shepherd's pie. My mother-in-law is British. That, mm -hmm. you know, th there's a lot of things that you can't mess up. Like no matter what, you can't mess them up. Um, you know, my carrot cake, my banana bread, um, totally easy. Anybody can make them. The butter tarts are a little bit, you know, just finicky because of the pastry. But if you've made pie, then they're easy. So I did the, almost all of my recipes are completely foolproof in that, like, I don't use obscure ingredients, like everything you probably have in your kitchen already. So, you know, but I'd say those are my go-to. Like if my kids are like, oh, we're hungry. Okay, here, let's have some shepherd's pie. Okay. Now what recipe took you the longest to perfect? Ooh, um, I'd probably have to say, because I'm thinking of Italian food maybe, is like tomato sauce. And mm. I know that sounds really weird, but it's because talk to anybody whose mom made tomato sauce mm -hmm. and, and you're like, I don't know. Mine just doesn't taste like yours. And then they walk you through it and you're like, yeah, yeah, I do that. And then it's like, and now after all these years of doing it, you realize like there's so many like idiosyncrasies to knowing how to make it 
that sauce. And I'm talking like not uh, like a marinara or not like a you know fresh one that you do like when the tomatoes are bursting with flavor. Like the kind you do with the tomato passata that you cook for like two hours and you know for Sunday lunch and all that kind of stuff. Like to get the proper consistency and the right flavor and no bitterness and lots of oil and like all the stuff that you need. Like it took a while to figure out what the tomatoes, depending on what the tomatoes look like when you take them out of the, the thing, if they're your tomatoes that are from Ontario versus like San Marzano tomatoes from Italy, mm-hmm. if you're using, if you've got wine, if you don't have wine, if you have like, uh, you start it with carrots or you start it with meat versus pancetta or whatever, like there's all these little things. So I think like that took me the longest time probably to perfect in terms of like, oh, okay, this is my thing. Now I got it. Right. Oh, and so. I could, I can agree with that one because again, yeah. there's so many different variations and it all depends yeah. on person's personal preference exactly also i think i'm becoming as i age very nostalgic so to Mm -hmm. me now it's also about perfecting those old recipes that you know when i post things like um my my dad's from abuzzo and Mm -hmm. they used to make these cookies that have chickpeas in it it's mashed chickpeas with cocoa powder they're really yummy and um so those things i like i i post them people are like oh those i remember those cookies so those are the things I'm tr- kind of trying to perfect in terms of like keeping those alive, those sort of memories of, of, of those things. Well, I find that we're kind of going in um, in waves with food. And right mm-hmm. now, to me, it's it feels like, and I could be wrong, but to me, it feels like it's the nostalgic phase. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And the nostalgic yeah. era, I want to say, because everyone nowadays wants to do things and remember things and cook things that remind them of their childhood or something that their parents um, used to talk about a thousand percent. And I'm finding that in that nostalgia, people are, are also becoming very interested in other people's cultures. And if you look at like, you know, back in that we're Italian, right? So of mm-hmm. course people were always interested in Italian food and like French food, but French food was always kind of unattainable. Like people always thought they couldn't cook French food because it was hard, but right. Italian food, like, yeah, teach me how to make pasta. But now, I mean, I follow a pile of bloggers that are um, like Iranian and from Jerusalem. And I'm, I mean, I love learning about those kinds of flavors. I have this woman, um, Thig, her name's Mai, and she lives in Chicago. And she, we kind of made friends over the internet and she sent me this package of like rose petals and sumac mm. and like things that I think like, oh my God, this is so amazing. So the nostalgia of our own culture, I feel like is connecting us to other people's cultures, which is amazing. I love it. All right, rapid fire. All right, you've got five minutes to move into a new kitchen and you can only take one item with you. What would that item be and why? My chef knife. Because, uh, I don't know, I use it all the time. It's on my counter. Okay. Curse words you use in the kitchen. <laughs> all of them. Every single fucking one of them. Yes. Sorry. My, my swear jar can finance the fucking space program. <laughs> Uh, sorry there's gonna be lots of bleeps in that one sorry (laughs) favorite toronto restaurant oh okay i people ask me this all the time and i have to almost always say massimo bruno supper club i still have to go okay because well massimo's my friend so i that so i'm gonna preface it by saying that but he didn't start off as my friend i went there with a bunch of friends Mm -hmm. and the reason i love it is it's like it's, it's soul food that I grew up with that served family style and you bring your own wine and you sit at a table with 40 people and you leave with 40 new friends and it's so awesome. It's all about the experience. I love and I'm that. Not, yeah, and I'm not into, like I've been to restaurants that I will not name um, 
that are, you know, they have like food that's stacked and sparkling and has unicorn farts coming out of it. I don't know. Like, so things that are like $7 million <laughs> for a strand of rice. And, and I, I'm not impressed. And I have that palate. I get it. Mm-hmm. It tastes lovely. Uh, it's not my thing. Right. So that's not my thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. So Massimo Bruno's Supper Club. Yeah. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, invisibility. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, um, if I could have a superpower, I would, I just pictured like Wonder Woman, but I'd like to like sprinkle like happiness everywhere. Like oh, that's so co- nice. Yeah. Like, 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 but like cookie in cookie form, like, like little tiny cookies that would explode into like stars and like splatter all over your head and make you happy. Oh, you haven't given this much thought at all. Oh, I- <laughs> I know you didn't even ask me that. I know, but I can't tell you what weird dish I made. I know. Okay, what's your junk food kryptonite? Oh, do you have one? I'm not a salty person. Um, It's probably like, you know what? Um, Anything sweet. And I used to love like creamy, like chocolate cake with icing, but now like the age, I think it's menopause brain. I don't know, but like (laughs) anything dry, like a biscotti or like crocante or mm. like, a, like a, a scone with like strawberries. Those things. I love those things. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. What would you bring back? Oh, kindness through food. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. yeah. I ask all my guests Now we've shared quite a bit, but I've asked them to share a kitchen confession with me. I know you told me that at the beginning and it's so funny. I said to you, I didn't know anything you were going to ask me. And the only thing you said to me is I just going to ask you what your kitchen. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't even know what that is. I don't know. I think my kitchen confession is that um, when I tell people that I have no self-esteem, like people are like, no, that like, really? And I'm like, no, really? I swear to you. And they're like, no, like that's, there's no way. Cause it's true. I come across as very confident. I'm the least confident person. So I, I would say my kitchen confession would probably be that I hardly ever make something and look at it and go, wow, that's like spectacular. <laughs> like I need, peop- I need people to tell me. Like I'll taste it and I'll be like, eh. And then my kids will eat and they're like, mom, this is like amazing. And I'm like, oh yeah? Oh, oh good, good, good. Yeah. And I've been at cooking classes where uh, like, I'll say that to people. And like one of the cooking, the lady that runs a cooking school, she goes, 40 people just walked up to you after that class and said that was the best thing they ever ate. Why, why do you think they would do that? And I said, okay, the one thing I'll give myself is that people really like me. Like people like want to be my friend. Mm-hmm. And so they're probably just coming up to me and saying that because they want to be nice. They don't really mean it. They're like just saying, cause they want to be nice. So in my mind, that's a big hurdle for me. Like that's, that's my kitchen confession is that I, I have a really hard time thinking that what I do is amazing. And, and when I told my, I did another podcast and I said this on the podcast and my husband like had a stroke. He was like, why would you say that in public? And I'm like, because have you heard, you know, Brene Brown? Mm-hmm. Do you know who Brene Brown is? Mm-hmm. Um, so she, her, I think it's the third most watched TED talk is called the power of vulnerability. And I realized it's a tough thing for people to be vulnerable in this world. And that's the one thing I have. Like I'm, I'm vulnerable to a fault. It's a good thing, I think, because it makes me fit in anywhere, mm-hmm. but it's a bad thing because I have a hard time saying that I'm good at anything. Well, next time you feel that, you're going to get a, t- a <laughs> message from me. You're the best. You're awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. You're awesome too. <laughs> oh. And we are done. Oh, thank you. That thank was you. Easy. Yeah, this was <laughs> a lot of fun. But before we go, if listeners yes. want to reach out for more information from you about you, how can they find you? Yes. 
I'm um, Just Crumbs. Uh, my blog is justcrumbs.ca. My Instagram handle is Just Crumbs. My Facebook is Just Crumbs Blog, I think. Um, my Twitter is Susie Duragon, so that's my name. And um, you can find all of those links on my blog. So when you go there, you can see all the little symbols there that you can get to me that way. And you can leave me direct messages anywhere because I answer them and I engage with every single person who leaves me a message always. Yes, you do. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, thank you so much for oh, joining us on Mary. the show. It was, was so funny. much fun. Yeah. You were awesome. amazing and a lot of fun to talk to. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It was awesome. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mammoliti. See you at the next episode.